All right, so we're on with Conscious Caracal. Am I saying that right? Uh, yeah, you're saying it perfectly. Okay. Uh, now, obviously, that's not your given name. Should I, should I give you use your real name or just refer to you as Caracal or uh, something? No, just, just, just call me Caracal. It's fine. All right, Caracal. Um, so you are... Uh, you haven't been murdered yet, even though you're in. You live in South Africa, so we want to <laughs> dive into this a little bit because this has been making the rounds. I think uh, you know Stefan Molyneux did a, I think multiple parts on what people are calling hashtag white genocide, and you know pointing to some of the situation in South Africa. But uh, uh, before we get to that, do you want to? Um, we're we're kind of like anglosphere allies i think we just kind of bumped into each other on twitter and what is your you know what is your background and what is your um your uh you know what's your, what's the deal with you in south africa okay so my family have been here since 1688 i'm the ninth generation of my family to live in south africa so i'm i consider myself much more african than european at this stage um my genes and my history are interwoven with this continent so i can't really leave this i'm part of the soil raised me and i'll probably probably one day be buried in it to to get this off to a morbid start <laughs> so you are you are a white african yes um i'm part of the white african tribe wow before that all right well i have a bachelor of fine arts in uh computer animation so Let's see if we can uh, <laughs> see if we can elevate this conversation. So, um, yeah. So you were talking about South Africa, and and there's apparently, especially Americans, we don't. It's well known we don't know shit about anything going on outside of the U.S. Um, I've followed this story for a few years now because it kind of popped up, but uh, yeah. so South Africa. Some people don't know is actually a nation, not just like. A region of Africa. It's a... of Africa yeah. <laughs> right. Um, I can start off by giving you some trivial facts. Um, we have a population of about roughly uh, 55 million, mm -hmm. and about 5.4 million of of that uh, population are white, of European descent. Um, that's very small. Size, I think of Louisiana. I checked before the before the stream mm -hmm. or before the recording. Um, so five five point four million are whites. Is that what you're saying? Mm. So yes. very small minority. And about, yeah, and about half of those are Afrikaans as well. The other half are English. So I'm a minority within a minority because I'm uh, part of the Afrikaans uh, denomination. Okay, and so that and that's uh, the the previous the the Dutch um, settlement, and yes. then later the English came, right? Yes, uh, Afrikaans is like a sing-songy Dutch almost. It's a it's a simpler version version of Dutch mixed with German and a bit mm -hmm. of African languages as well. There's a very small uh, influence of French as well. Yeah, I've and, I've um, met uh... Afrikaans isn't even a hundred years old yet. It's a very young language. It's been spoken for more than a hundred years, but it's only been an official language for I think I'm I don't really know. I'm gonna have, I'm gonna check that on the fly, but you can continue. Sure, sure. Um, well, I've I've met some uh, like Afrikaans, and I, I thought they were German at first, just because of the accent. Um, but so there's this multi this this different waves of of settlement into South Africa, and it goes back, you know, to essentially prehistory as well. So there's always been people living on the southern tip of Africa, is my understanding. Not not always, but 
uh, for a very long time. Uh, but these more, call it recent waves of, uh, of colonial colonization and everything have resulted in this, uh, you know, mixed race nation. And of course, then we get to the apartheid. And that's one of the main reasons anybody and especially the U.S. really knows about it is because the fixation on apartheid and Nelson Mandela and everything. Hmm. Um, I uh, just the other day, coincidentally, after the uh, Charlottesville shooting, or not shooting, a terrorist attack. Sure. Um, someone tweeted out to me and they said, but why are you tweeting about this? You're not even American. How does this affect you? Like, well, <laughs> firstly, um, Charlottesville was the top trend on Twitter that day in South Africa. So that should tell you a lot already. Uh, secondly, uh, we did a bad thing in like the 1900s. I don't know if, if that person was aware, like a very racially motivated thing. Um, right. kind of made us world famous, like you just said a, a minute back. Right. Well, um, and, and, so, uh, um, we talk about this, these things when something, especially something race related happens in the U S and your racial ten or tensions between your race relations get damaged in the U S we talk about it here as well. And people get riled up and angry here as well because they see, Oh, look at all these white supremacists in America. They're probably among us as well here in South Africa. Yeah. So well, that's the misconception that's, that gets created by these types of events. Well, and you're not going to see necessarily these same kind of conversations come out of other places because they aren't necessarily as racially um, diverse, essentially. And they don't necessarily have all of the history of the colonialism and everything else. And they also don't have like the open discourse and everything. Um, mm. Like, I don't imagine that a black minority in Russia would have gotten a fair shake in the public sphere all through the 20th century, you know? So Mm -hmm. it's really happening in nations that are a little bit more open anyway. And so that's where the attention goes, because that's where people are trying, I hope, to do meaningful work, right? And not just be be annoying or uh, be vandals or, uh, uh, yeah, just uh, upset the apple cart. And so our conversation here does reflect the situation in South Africa, yeah? Yeah, no, definitely. Um, I have some other trivial facts before we get into the more serious things. Sure. Um, South Africa has 11 official languages, and I just checked uh, the age of Afrikaans. Afrikaans became an official language in 1925, so it's not even 100 years old yet, the language that I speak primarily. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, and also, South Africa is divided up into nine provinces. So it's not like states in the in America. These provinces don't have their own laws and um, uh, um, the same institutional structures as compared to the U.S. They kind of function as a as a whole. And another interesting thing where you can actually uh, a trick question you can ask people is if you ask them what's the capital of South Africa, um, they'll probably say like, oh, maybe Johannesburg or. What, maybe Cape oh Town. yeah, I, I learned we that. There's three. Yeah, we have three capitals. Yeah, yeah. I just learned that the other day. I was there. It's uh, divided like our uh, the U.S. government, right? It's legislative, judicial, and executive. Yes. Interesting. So there's um, yeah. Uh, Cape Town uh, is the poly- is the legislative capital. Pretoria is the seat of the president, cabinet, and uh, administrative capital. And Bloemfontein is the seat of the Supreme Court of Appeal. Interesting. And the judicial capital. Does that mm. does that system? So that's a nice trick question. Does that system work well? Having it kind of 
divided geographically and everything like that? Um, I'm going to be perfectly honest. I'm not too well acquainted with that system in general, so I can't really uh, comment on its efficiency or its uh, um, how well it's doing. Um, it doesn't really interest me that much. Hmm, sure. Okay, so... Um... So the, we bring up the politics because the politics do get involved in the kind of this heavier stuff that we're going to talk about that, like, again, it's it's sort of provocative. People have seized on it because it is quite, quite graphic and shocking in uh, in certain instances and does, again, relate back to some of the racial problems we have here in the States. And so, I, I mean, if you want to start that off, if we're uh, if we're done with some of the uh, the background, we can get up to up to uh, date just, uh, just one more fact um what i think uh, people will find interesting is that south africa is the only nation that willingly gave up its nuclear arms that it developed itself yes yes and so yeah. that's a scary thought the apartheid government had weapons of mass destruction that it developed itself <laughs> and it gave um, them and it gave them up and and never used them that's uh that's interesting yeah um nobody else in the world has the you could, depending on from what perspective you look at it, either we were we were stupid or we were actually the most civilized. I don't know um, <laughs> for doing that. True, true. Yeah. So, if we need to, uh, we can uh, get into the meat of the the big uh, question at hand. But I think uh, an important piece of history that I just quickly want to give is the fact that in theory about how um, abused children become abusers themselves. Mm -hmm. So basically, if you look back at our history, um, it's not pretty. We were, Europeans in Africa had a pretty hard time in terms of a very hostile climate, hostile enemies, um, fucking every type of animal and spider and snake trying <laughs> to kill you. Right. Um, and I think a catalyst in this was the, the Anglo-Boer War that happened in 1899 and lasted till 1902. Um, it was about gold, of course. Um, so basically, the, the, a, large a, a large part of the pop white population lived in Cape Town. And then when the British took over there and started turning everything English and said, well, you have to conform to our institutions and our language and our culture, um, a large portion of uh, white South Africans said, fuck no, and they um, just started this huge trek up into, uh, up into Middle SA. And this was about um, around 1836. And so, you're saying they, those so you're saying they moved like yeah. from Cape Town to the interior in yeah. kind of a migration? Yeah, like a huge migration. Okay. Um, they literally refer to themselves as the African Israelites. Because they were just trying to get the hell away and from they, the English. Yeah. Mm. So they basically went over the. There's this common phrase where they say, where we say, um, they went barefoot over the Drakensberg Mountains. Wow. Because they literally went barefoot over the women and children and with all these um, ox wagons. This was in the 1800s. And so then this leads up. So then they find gold fucking big mistake yeah <laughs> uh, and then britain was like oh um we seem to have some nice gold over there we want a piece slice of that pie so the anglo-boer war breaks up and the british thought the war would last three months it ended up lasting three years wow 
uh, it was the entire British Empire, their finest uh, soldiers from either from England and from their other colonies. Five hundred thousand of them versus forty-five thousand uh, Boer soldiers. Uh, they had cannons, superior weapons, tactics, generals. We had hunting rifles, some cannons, some cheap uh, cannons that Germans gave us, and basically our know of the land, our knowledge of South Africa and how to uh, do warfare here. Yeah, and I know and the. I'm. Oh uh, yeah, I'm familiar with this story. Uh, you know, here we are. <laughs> mm. So then, what happened was uh, the British. The, this war drained all their resources and basically uh, gave them a huge blow financially. So they implemented scorched earth tactics where they burned down all the farms and captured all the women and children because they were supplying these soldiers, uh, the opposition, and they put them in concentration camps. Uh, the first large-scale concentration camps of that, of that type. Um, Hitler actually studied these British concentration camps uh, to build his own. And within these concentration camps, uh, more women and children died than soldiers on both sides combined. Is that um, is that Shark Island? Is that am I remembering that right? Are you thinking of Robben Island where Mandela was uh, kept? Um, I was I remember something. It was about concentration camps. Uh, I think around the World War One era, but uh, but maybe that's a separate uh, mm -hmm. separate thing. Um, was, so uh, 1899, uh, well, no, it was 1902. Sure, sure. So these concentration camps uh, kept most of the women and children that they'd captured, and I think like 36,000 or 45, uh, 40,000 died, not somewhere in that range. Wow. And that basically broke the the resistance. They said, "No, we what's there left to fight for if all our women and children are suffering in in concentration camps where they're assaulted and raped and fed um, pieces of glass in their food." Sure. So, yeah, no. <laughs> um, <laughs> that kind of broke. That ended the war. Well, so is so that my overarching point? Isn't that's kind of where apartheid comes in? Is that you've created this resentment within this population? This basically, to use a metaphor, this abused child. Mm -hmm. And then they come into power, and they're like, "Fuck now, now we're gonna look after our own people." And um, yeah, then you got apartheid, basically. So in a nutshell. That's how I see it. I think it's a it's a manifestation of the abuse that was done to us as well in the past. But that's only that's my perspective. It's not a it's not an absolute fact. Okay, so you have uh, you basically have people really playing hardball identity politics, and they do have like legitimate historical anyway grievances. There's genocide maybe a century ago from one group to another, and they're all vying for power. So they're of course. Uh, gonna you? They're gonna leverage that power once they have it uh, to benefit their own uh, their own group. So, is there still like no love lost between, uh, say, the, uh, the Afrikaans and the the English descendants? Do they are there's they a, there's bitter? Like this inherent resentment, but it's not as big as it was in the past. Like there was mm. this huge group of um, Afrikaans white folk that um, refused to fight on the British's side in I think it was World War Two or World War One. I. I can't remember it specifically. Also, okay. Um They said, "Fuck no, we were just in a war with these people. They put us in concentration camps, and now you expect us to help them." 
<laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah right. no, so there's a there's a bit of a resentment, like an underlying unconscious resentment uh, among us towards the British. Um, not not with me. I I don't give a fuck really. Um, <laughs> I just like to to talk about that history because people need to know that um, not everyone are saints. Uh, everyone has committed atrocities. Well, and it well. Has I'm still pissed off that they burned down the White House back in 1812. I'm never letting them forget that. But uh, but maybe you're a bigger man than me. <laughs> yeah, no, um, I don't know. It, it feels to me redundant, or not. It it feels like a waste of energy now to to hold a grudge, and and we have bigger problems at the moment. Indeed. But yeah. So mm. now on the topic of the white hashtag white genocide. Um, well, let's define it. That it is not a genocide as in strictly per definition um though it is a very serious issue i think that the fact that people are calling it a genocide actually takes away discredits the issue and takes away attention from the fact that this is a serious issue that needs attention but it's not uh, from what I, my definition of a genocide it, it doesn't need sure well it, i i do prefer the the definition of them being farm murders because it really is um if if it was purely just racial it wouldn't be happening as much on the farms it's an opportunistic kind of crime right that they're no, here's the thing uh, it happens on it happens on the farms because that's land it's symbolic um the farmers own the land the farmers own huge acres of land mm -hmm. and the the people that are politically motivated to do this want to regain that land they want to they they feel it's been stolen from you without compensation um almost take revenge for it um well yeah that that's kind of what i mean is that there's another incentive happening here there there's something else going on than just uh just a a racial backlash right or targeting of white yeah. farmers it just happens yeah, no, that um, the white farmers or the, a lot of the farms are owned by white south africans yeah yes but there is also a political and a racial element sure um, yeah, but I'll get to that now. Um, just a few stats. So the number of agricultural organizations um, did uh, uh, accumulate statistics on farm murders. So the South African Agricultural Union um, registered 677 murders and 3,000 attacks between 1991 and 1997. So that's within a 60-year period, um, that's about 100 people per year. Mm -hmm. that were murdered on farms now um i don't have that specific uh statistic but as i remember it when i read it a while back um i think about a third of those murders were just farm workers so it was farm murders literally people murdered on farms but it was not the owners of the farms; it was workers on the farms um and 61 percent were white mm -hmm. uh, in a well so you, you're correct. The fact that most of the farmers, I, I don't know the exact percentage, but the vast majority of farmers and about 99, well, not 99, maybe like 95% of the huge commercial farmers, I'm talking like huge uh, multiple farm owners are, are white in South Africa. That's a fact. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that uh, you're right. It is a, it's an easy target. It's isolated. It's not in the town. Uh, it takes a while for the authorities to arrive. But here's the thing, though. Um, if it was purely crime motivated and not um, 
political or racially motivated, um, why do so many of these cases, the people don't take anything? They just torture the shit out of the, the owner of the farm and his mm. wife and his children, and they kill him, and they run away. That's a take nothing. They really, they really don't try. They don't take any valuables. They just, no. just torture and kill. Well, maybe, maybe take like a cell phone or something, but they're not going to go for the safe or anything of guns or anything else that they have worth killing someone over no huh and so is that uh, same savagery that that kind of the brutal home invasion aspect kind of thing is that happening to the black farmers as well or is that savagery only happening to the white farmers here's the thing i have very limited knowledge of the the black agricultural uh, sector in south africa because it's so underdeveloped because historically up until now most of the huge farms in South Africa were always traditionally owned by white South Africans that had the, the, the expertise and the basically the, the connections and networking and uh, uh, inherited the farms from their from their parents. So it's um, so but really um, so but since the end of apartheid, that's when that has really started to change that the, that there are now black um, landowners. This there are, but uh, here's another stat uh, that's kind of concerning is that the fact that about 4,000 farms have been acquired by the Department of Land Reform since 1904 at a cost of 10 billion rand, mm -hmm. of which only 10% are productive today. So the so state-run farms... farms were... No, not state-run, they were redistributed. Okay, so they were seized from, uh, call it... Uh free market capitalist uh farmers and business farmers and then given to um i'm gonna assume they were given to black south africans as part of that redistribution yes okay yes and only 10 percent of them are productive today because here's the thing um what our government doesn't seem to grasp is that before we can redistribute the land the farmland as we we first need to <laughs> to educate people in terms of skills they need to be trained yeah yeah you can't just give someone a million rand a farm that a huge corporate farm and then expect them to know how to run it right modern yeah, agriculture is it's petrochemicals and machinery and everything yeah and it's like a business you need to know all the ins and outs and you have to do your own accounting and all the the math and uh, administration that goes with it Right, um, right. So I think the first step, um, I think land re redistribution is important. Um, we can't have a situation that we have now where most of the farms farmers are white. Like we, That's not going to be sustainable. So my solution would be is that we first need to initiate a program or a policy where we do skill development, where we make sure that, okay, first we need to make sure that the people that get the farms know how to use the farms to their full potential. And those farms need to be productive still uh, five, ten years in the future. Because what a lot of people also do is that they, they, the farm gets redistributed to them and then they just sell it off again to the white farmers. <laughs> well, that was a productive uh, exchange, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so... Okay, so if 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 only if there was only this white minority that were owning all of the productive land, you would have almost yeah. this feudal system where they only they allow the you know the black workers to come onto the land and do work but never own it, and that creates a bad environment. Um, 
Is this? Oh, that's not a fantasy. That's how it actually works here. For in South Africa, you your workers stay on the farm. They live there. They don't. Stay, well, most most farms work like that. They have like a little settlement where all these workers stay and they work on the farm and they get paid, but they don't own the farm. Mm -hmm. And it's 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 not fair. I think it. I I agree with with uh, a lot of these movements that it is unjust. Um, you can't uh, have this whole population of workers on your farm. That have no stake in that farm. Right. It, it's think, it's um, it's futile, right? Yeah. No. It's it is purely futile. Um, I think uh, uh, a solution to the problem is you need we need to initiate a program where we start giving those farm workers a small st uh, a small stake initially in the farm. Then you can grow as the experience grows. Mm -hmm. And if because if someone has a stake in something, they also want to see it succeed. Absolutely. So. I, yeah, so I think that's the the long term um, solution to our problem. But no, um, especially our agricultural sector is pretty fucked up in terms of it's <laughs> still a, pretty much a relic of of apartheid. Um, not much has changed. Their wages have increased fairly much. Are still um, workers not getting paid enough, and basically mechanization is also a huge problem. Because here's the thing, um, a lot of farmers, rather than dealing with uh, workers that strike for higher wages, they just say, okay, fine, I'm going to buy a machine. And then a machine doesn't get sick, a machine doesn't complain, a machine doesn't strike. Absolutely. Uh, so, yeah, so it's not looking good in that department. In terms of unskilled labor, um, South Africa is in a pretty bad situation in terms of mechanization and automation. So, um, it's so going to destroy a lot of jobs. So these factors you think are specifically driving the farm murders or, and this is kind of the conspiratorial side that I've seen or uh, the in, indicting side that, that the government itself is endorsing this practice because it allows them to, uh, to get these farms off these people's hands without having to buy them if they're dead. Is that? Okay. Six years is between 2001 and 2016, um, there was about 1,000 farm murders and 8,000 attacks, so it increased. Um, pretty damning is that there's this old struggle song that goes, kill the boer, shoot the boer, uh, in, in, uh, uh, Afri in an African language, of course, but that's a translation. Mm -hmm. And there's also a, a, an old struggle saying, one settler, one bullet. And our president has personally sang that song, Kill the Boer, Shoot the Boer, mm -hmm. publicly. Um, so what message does that send to people that are just a bit unhinged enough to do such a thing? Sure. And, wh and what does it say to, the, to the, the white South Africans? It says, go buy guns because there's trouble coming. Um, we have a we have a big like doomsday prepper uh, <laughs> where, where people just like stock up on weapons. I'm serious. Yeah, um, um, we're pretty we're pretty much armed to our teeth, even though our gun laws are pretty strict. Mm -hmm. um, um, for example, there's another political party, um, the Economic Freedom Fighters, the EFF, and they hold banners like the honeymoon period is over for white people in South Africa, or we need to kill them like they killed us. Now, my personal opinion is that rhetoric like that definitely contributes to a lot of these attacks. Um, I think if, if enough people hear that, the hinged individuals among the people that hear that message, that will do a fucked up thing. Uh, absolutely. Um, it's, 
it's amazing what a, a radical minority can do, yeah. Hmm. Um, and I think that happens in the U.S. as well, uh, not wanting to drag you into this. Uh, um, the thing is, when people say things like, for example, punch a Nazi, or even more radical, like we can, we can kill Nazis, or these people of a certain group don't deserve to live, like they need to be hanged from lampers. Yeah. You, you, people underestimate that in a country of what's your population, 350 million, 380 million? Something like there. that, yeah. Like, yeah. Within that population, um, there are unhinged individuals. I think thousands of them. Oh, easily. That will do these. <laughs> and if you make if you make joke, well, not jokes, but like if you kind of push the the narrative that Trump is a fascist dictator that needs to be overthrown or assassinated or killed, and you will get those unhinged individuals in a population of 350 million. I think there are a few thousand. Of people that will do something crazy, willing like, to uh, willing to make a pipe, to a make a pipe yeah, bomb or I something. Mean, yeah, sure. Um, yeah, but a person that's already suicidal, it's like fuck. I'll I'll go out and people will, will remember me as the person that assassinated Donald Trump. Right. Well, and somebody actually a pretty... there was that guy already tried back during yeah. the election. Uh, tried to grab the cop's gun and and shoot Trump. And I'm. I'm I'm wondering how on guard the Secret Service is at this point because this has got to be. I imagine Obama had threats, but I I can only imagine the insanity that's coming across their desk. What with all of the fascist Hitler accusations and everything, you you see it because you were following our politics. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about. I think the security at his rallies has been increased. Um, monumentally since uh, since the media rhetoric has kind of ramped up uh and i think it's it's genuinely something that needs to be needs to be addressed the fact that we can't just um have uh, um pub famous public figures making posts about um military coups and assassinating <laughs> the president and yeah who who was it uh it's, uh it's surreal who was it that that comedian um, uh, Sarah Silverman Sarah Silverman yeah like when can the military take over and it's like you're just not thinking too many steps ahead here are you you want the, a military yeah, like, coup you, <laughs> yeah, like, uh, so the military then takes over what's your plan then what happens then right then then we vote after that I don't think that's how a military government uh, works uh, that's not how coup works general um the people that kind of seize power within a coup kind of retain it and say fuck the constitution <laughs> right right like, uh. so i don't think it's a it's a topic to take lightly i'm not a big censor i think people should be allowed to say what they want but i think huge public figures and celebrities that have a huge following need to be held accountable in some in some way for very inflammatory statements like that absolutely um I don't feel it's responsible. I think it's really short-sighted. And like I said, enough unhinged individuals among you that will try and do... You're playing with fire. I think it's... Uh, you've had presidential uh, assassinations in the past. But yeah, the... So the bottom line on back on the, the South African topic is, yes, um, it's not a genocide, but it is a serious issue. And our government is to to address it in any 
and they're just uh, basically ignoring it, saying, oh, it's, it's just regular crime. Okay. It is crime, like I said, but a large portion of it is politically motivated. Well, I can't prove it objectively, but situations and you just look at the you don't have to torture someone before you kill them and then end up taking nothing it's just it's free to me it, um, yeah that's not a good that's not good optics as they say no it doesn't sit right with me something's up something something is has gone astray and so so this goes back to the other part where there's the there were these commando uh groups which i say commando and it might sound a little uh a little scary but this this was private defense forces that were organized to protect the farms and the government disbanded them right yes and so that's kind of suspect as well, because you're you, they literally yes, took the defense away. Prove it objectively, but there's all the circumstantial evidence. Now I don't want to sound like a, a Russia Gate conspiracy theorist, because <laughs> I don't want to make uh, accusations based on circumstantial evidence. Or you'll start it's you'll just, start to sound like Alex Jones. Okay, they're trying to kill us yeah, off. It's yeah. a white genocide. <laughs> Buy guns. Yeah, no. Um, for me, it's definitely something is something's not right there. I'm not, it's definitely not a genocide. It's not some huge uh, culling that's happening, but some, there, it, there is an issue and there definitely is a political motive in a lot of these cases. And it's not being properly addressed in South Africa, sadly. Well, so do you think that the- For example, the... On things like that where- Oh, go on. Where, um, for example, that, uh, that militia basically that got together and protected themselves being disbanded, I don't, I can't even remember what the government's rationale was. I think it was just, oh, I don't know um, what their rationale was. But I think that's a good thing. In these cases where, especially in a society like South Africa, where our police force is so useless at times. Yeah, I was reading. I was reading something that uh, the police departments have hired private security to defend the police departments, or something insane like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, ironically, the the town where I used to live uh, when I was younger, the police station built like a huge electrified fence around the police station one year to to kind of stop people from breaking into the police station. <laughs> That's uh, that sounds absurd, but uh, there's government for you, right? There's there's that government efficiency. Uh, that's why I'm. That's why I'm a monarchist to an extent. I hate labels, but like I think, I think government has a role, but I do think it needs to have clear limits where we say no, we're not going to act. This. Wow. I mean, that's just. In the end. Well, of course, you know? if they if they can't protect their own police department you know, building, then they're certainly not in a very good position to protect the citizenry. And and that was the other thing is. From that was the numbers I found. So from like '94 to 2012, there was like almost 20,000 murders per year, if my numbers are right. Uh, no, not 20,000 uh, per year. It's more like it's 50 a day. Sure. Oh, okay. All right. I, no, no, uh, actually, yeah. actually, that could work. My math, my math is not at the moment. Wait. Uh, I'm just gonna check if I can get. I got crime stats the other day. They're pretty, pretty detailed. I'm just gonna check if I can find it now. I think I pulled my numbers from the Daily Caller, which you know is is sort of right wing. Mm -hmm. So, 
I always like to compare them. Uh, yeah, it's about fourteen thousand a year. Still, uh, it, well, if you're the South African murder rate is at is like ninth in the world, something like that. Mm. Uh, we're one of the uh, rape and murder capitals of the world. Yes. And you know, we talk about our crime problems here in the states, but we're by the same. Uh, I think it was was it UNESCO or something had the table. It was on the Wikipedia page anyway. Um, we the U.S. is like a hundred and first as far as murder rate. And then you just think about the way people talk about our crime problems, like it's an epidemic and all this. I, I can only imagine a smaller population, a smaller land area with that much higher crime. I mean, is it so it's like Mad Max there? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Depends on what uh, part of South Africa you go to. It's a fucking big. Um, sure, sure. Um, my father used to say, um, um, is the world in a country did you get it that time <laughs> there is a world in a country it's country <laughs> so basically what it means is that so many elements that you can find elsewhere in the world that is like a little miniature world within just the borders of the country right um, right to better explain this uh, depending on where you go um the environment and the crime and the social structure and the um for example durban which is on the uh is basically the uh, um, biggest i think it's the biggest indian population outside of india interesting um best yeah best curry in the world um they call it little india or like the uh, new 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 delhi or something like that i don't know <laughs> sure um but the thing is uh if you go there now it's tropical the water is warm beaches are like not white sand but like brown like brown sugar sand huh um great fishing um uh the crime is a bit worse also but then if you come down to where i live in cape town um the weather gets colder the winters are uh, wet and uh, rainy and uh, windy and stormy it's the cape of storms uh -huh. um and during the summer it's pretty it, it gets pretty hot like we get 44 degrees celsius um i don't know what that is in fahrenheit so, uh, <laughs> yeah me neither sure um, sure but like we get huge heat waves here as well but we get our we get our rain in the winter and in our summer we get no rain but in for example the free state which is like in the middle of south africa and also in gauteng which is where johannesburg is and where the gold is they get their rain in the summer so their winters are just cold and dry hmm. and their summers are wet and humid and then there's this gem of a province uh, mapumalanga which it's just summer all year around um their winter is like our summer and their summer is absolutely brutal in terms of heat but it's all it also rains so it gets very humid and sticky but that that province it's just it's always summer there it it never ceases well so is south you africa south africa is is it temperate it's not tropical yeah oh yeah um no again it depends on where you go it's such a big country sure um it's very i mean to the west it's just desert mm -hmm. and then in, in the middle it's like uh where you can plant like um corn and um most of the water comes from the rivers 
And then if you go all the way to the east, it gets all tropical and um, humid and more like we buy, we plant sugarcane and like bananas and all the like tropical fruits. Huh. So, yeah, and then you come down to um, Cape Town in the Boerland and that's where all the, the wine is made. That's where all the grapes are grown. Huh. So is there, uh, does it ever snow there? You got, you got ski resorts or anything? Uh, Lesotho, which is that little country in the middle of South Africa, actually gets a lot of snow. It has like a ski resort. But in South Africa itself, we get a, not as much snow. The Karoo Desert gets some snow some winters, and um, the, the Drakensberg Mountains get snow every, every winter. Cool. Um, the surrounding mountains here in, near Cape Town get a little bit of snow at like the very top, the very high mountains, but we never get snow on the ground. So yeah, I saw some uh, some pictures. I think you were posting on Twitter. So you you recently took like a kind of a trip around, uh, at least somewhere. Um, yeah, my mate uh, went to up to Mapumalanga and like Limpopo and stayed there. Um, the Kruger National Park. So we saw like wildlife and got some great pictures. And I posted one video on Twitter where I'm walking like next to a river and there's just like a crocodile lying there and some hippos. <laughs> So, so sometimes Africa is just the way we think Africa is. Yes. 100% right, right. Um, so, I mean, so that's, so maybe we kind of came full circle on that. Like, uh, so you have pride and ownership of your own country. You love your country. You don't feel that, uh, that white genocide vibe. You think that it's, it's not present in like the day-to-day life. Is that, is that your, your position? Then again, um, I stay in, in the Western Cape, which is basically the South African California in terms of just like easygoing and pretty tamed. Right. Very, right. very, very like, uh, uh, urbanized. So um, the people from here are notoriously not very tough, like um, in compared to the rest of South Africa. The mm. real tough guys come from Gauteng in uh, Johannesburg, where the, the like what I told you earlier, the Grootrek, that that big migration of people, all the weak basically died off before they got there. So the people that <laughs> arrived there are just like top quality genes in terms of survival. Right. So they they made a bunch of Klingons by forcing this migration. And then they come back yeah, into the yeah. city and they're, they're good mm. stock, so to speak. Yeah. Though, also, Johannesburg is a much different scene than Cape Town. Um, the crime is much worse. The poverty is much worse. Um, the, it's just, it also just has a more African feel when you look at like, the environment and the surrounding area. Um, Cape Town looks like, uh, some, like a colonial city, um, a typical port city. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Western Cape is like riddled with little European style towns that have absolutely no crime almost because um, they're so isolated. But then you go up to into like uh, Gauteng and the Free State and some of those towns are pretty bad. And the, the cities there, the, the crime gets worse as you go up because the, the poverty rate also increases because the population density increases. Right. So, if you ask the question like how bad is crime in South Africa, I always have to I always have to answer in which part are you right. talking about? It depends on where you live. Depends. Well, so so are you concerned about the uh, the effectiveness of this your current government as apartheid moves forward or apartheid moves forward in light of the end of apartheid? <laughs> uh, do you 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 think that the 
do you think that a, a call it a nationalist identity of everybody being South African? Do you think that that's uh, powerful enough to maybe overcome the resentment that exists even between the white South Africans? I can hope so. That was the, the original vision of the, the Rainbow Nation. It's the fact that we were all going to unite as South Africans. Come together. But the, the current government is making it pretty hard for people to, to unite. because Well, people are uniting against the government because they're doing a pretty shit job at the moment. Um, corruption is rife. Um, our service delivery is not what it should be. Uh, some schools don't even get textbooks. Um, our president seems to be in the pocket of uh, huge businessmen and uh, people behind the scenes. Um, and he's just in court case after court case. Um, so in that regard, no, uh, the, the current government could be much better, but the, the alternative is also not as good. Um, there isn't really a serious opposition party. There's the Democratic Alliance, which is the, the official opposition, but I personally view them just as an African National Congress light, which are the the ANC, the African National Congress, is the current party that's been in charge since 1994. Um, I just see, I personally see the Democratic, uh, the the DA as just another version of the ANC, maybe a bit better run. I don't know. Uh, well, I, they haven't had to hold power, so we don't know if they can they can do it. Well, and so that the, the economic s- freedom fighters. Well, the uh, the same political party has been in power since the end of apartheid. Is that about? Yes. So for that's not years. right. So that's really not very democratic at all. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Like there's not even a serious opposition. I have a friend from uh, I have a friend from Belarus, and he's like, we've had the same president since Perestroika. And I'm like, that's not a president. <laughs> um, the thing is, uh. I think a lot of this tension comes from the fact that we've been, in quotation marks, a free nation for more than 20 years, and we've not achieved the the progress that was promised to the people of South Africa. Now, a lot of people regress into into white blaming, basically, and said we're not making progress because the white people are hoarding all the money and control all the institutions and are basically in control of everything. Kind of, it kind of sounds like a, a, a guy with a weird mustache in the early 1900s said a very similar thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, so do you think that it's the government uh, ineptitude that is actually preventing the uh, the kind of uh, the raising of the floor of poverty or making it worse? Largely, yes. Um, government corruption to a large extent, yes. Um, I think uh, a lot of the departments are absolutely being uh, destroyed by either corruption or ineptitude or people that were given positions out of favor and not because they were the best for the job. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also have other problems that are contributing to this. It's not just the government, but they are playing a large role in our slow, like, um, uh, stagnation, I should say. Sure. Um, that not, was not in free fall. Right. Well, that was something that uh, I saw in the one of the Stefan Molyneux videos where he was talking about the electricity uh, grid or energy sector in South Africa and that they had adopted, or you guys, I guess, had adopted like uh, brownout times or days where there was no power or something. And that sounded a little too extreme to me. Is that true? That is true. We call it load shedding. Load shedding. Um, Yes, when the the power grid gets too um, over, uh, like, overstressed or overburdened 
um, they shut down the power for like two to four or five hours for certain parts of the of the of the country. Wow. Okay. So, but it didn't used to be that way. Uh, no, this is something that's pretty recent. Like it started, I can't remember when the first time was. Uh, probably it's it, the past decade, I think, is when it's really started. Sure, sure. Um, but they they have it now up to a pretty stable situation. We haven't had a power cut in. I don't know. We had we had serious power load shedding in. 2015 because mm. i can't remember what happened i think some cooling tower or something just fucking collapsed because it wasn't maintained like a cooling tower um, on a nuclear reactor I, I'm, I'm i'm using that as like a term but okay I, I don't think it was like uh, i think it did the same job as a cooling tower but it's not like that nuclear uh, it was at a at a cold most of our power comes from cold oh, okay okay all right i, fi uh, I figured we would have heard about another nuclear that, disaster sure. wait, no no no. it was a, it was a tower that was actually storing coal at the facility and it collapsed one of the, it was one of the towers containing the coal and it collapsed and i think the the rain kind of destroyed the coal Wow. And okay. They didn't have an efficient way of getting enough coal there to to feed the grid, but I'm talking under correction. Sure. And then in 2015, we had load shedding every day. Well, maybe every second day, if I can't remember correctly. Um, every day, every second day, we'd have uh, four hours, maybe two hours, sometimes just one hour of no power, no electricity. And this would either be predicted or it would just happen. Hmm. Like, people wouldn't even be prepared so is that impacting then like business hours and industry yes of course yeah um, mm, uh, for example traffic lights don't work so traffic grinds to a halt basically even the traffic lights uh, don't stay on the... no <laughs> wow so what a lot of businesses did after the load shedding got really bad is that a lot of businesses invested in generators Right. Which they used to power their businesses during the load shedding. So then they didn't have a problem anymore. But the only problem is then the entire like city just hums like of all the generators. There's just like this droning everywhere. Right. And probably not helping the air quality. Probably not help helping the air quality in the right. in the neighborhood either. Um, well, you know, I, I'm not sure how much more, if you've got anything else to, to let the people know about, uh, I think we maybe gave a pessimistic view of South Africa, but you're, uh, you're, you're, you're hopeful. Um, yes. I'm going to stay here. I'm going to stay behind and try and fix this. Um, I think it's my duty. Um, my family, like I said, I'm the ninth generation of my family that has been here. We've been here for almost 400 years. I think me just running away would be a pretty, pretty disgraceful and cowardly thing to do just because time's got a little tough. Wow. Um, absolutely. Time, <laughs> I always say uh, tough times don't last. Tough people do. Indeed. So... And you, and if you, if you love your, you love your country, so you're sticking with it, and you know, I guess you'll flee at the very last. There's, uh... a, there's an old uh, African saying that goes, "My country is my country, even when I'm treated unfairly." Hey, there you go. Mm. So, and for me, it's South Africa is such a beautiful, incredible country. I've traveled the world, and each time I miss the people and I miss the place. I could never move away. This is my home. Like I've. I was raised here, and I'm pretty much uh, intertwined with this with this country. 
And I think one of the prices you pay for living in one of the most beautiful and incredible countries in the world is the high crime rate and the political instability and all that goes with it. And I'm, I'm personally, um, I will pay, I'm, what's the word, uh, fuck. I'm currently, I'm constantly translating like words in my head. Um, I'm, oh yes, that's the word. I'm prepared to, um, stay behind and try and make it work and sacrifice my staying in a more dangerous country, but it's a beautiful country. It's a country that I, that I love and I can enjoy. Um, I always, I'm a big fan of going on hikes and getting into nature. So I could never stay in a place where I don't have a hiking trail or something close to me where I could just go out into nature and disconnect, uh, leave my phone at home. Well, that's beautiful, um, man. Hopefully, hopefully there's enough, uh, enough people like you that are trying to make it work and you can get some of these, some of these more minor problems solved, like keeping the lights on and also get people to overcome the the racial divides and everything and at least try to get that paranoia out you know you shouldn't be suspicious that your government is maybe involved in in race crimes right oh yeah no of course um we all they're already involved with other shady shit that we can confirm so <laughs> it's not really helping but i think uh, what is also contributing to this is the 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 whole world is going through a paradigm shift we have instability across the globe Oh, of and course. I think uh, it's bleeding into developing countries, especially because what's happening is because developing developed countries like the U.S. and Europe—well, Europe's not a country, but like the the European countries—China is kind of semi-developed, I guess. Um, their economies are grinding to a halt, or at least they're not growing as fast as they did a, a decade or two ago. So before the financial crisis. Right. So if you if you go to, for example, and you look at the GDP growth of, uh, you know, a GDP is the, the gross domestic product. Yes. Um, basically an indicator of uh, how how healthy an economy is and how much it's producing. Right. If you look at those graphs at around twin, uh, 2007, 2008, all these developed countries just fucking nosedive. Like they go into a complete downward spiral. Right. And... The, the, the common consensus is that the shockwave of the financial crisis finally with a little bit of a lag kind of hitting the developed world. And we're still suffering from it. We haven't really recovered. Our economy isn't shrinking, but it's, it's growing at a, I think last year our economy growed 0%. Wow, that's <laughs> a, a big fat zero. <laughs> right. Well, hey, but it didn't go down. So there's, there's that. Yeah, it's just, it's just. It's just flatlining. It's, if you look at it, it's like it, it goes, it dips, and then it just suddenly just evens out and nothing happens. You have little blips, and then it goes back to a straight line. Huh. Um, that's not good. Yeah, and I think that's, that's, fueling, that's fueling political instability and tensions as well. The fact that because the economy isn't growing, people are getting laid off, and people aren't getting – jobs aren't being created. So people are – poverty is actually increasing and more and more people are just feeling desperate in the fact that our, our unemployment rate is 33%. 33%. Jesus. A third of the country is unemployed. Yeah, that's not sustainable at all. I think your unemployment rate is like 5% or 4%. You fucking lose your mind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was at like 9%, I think, back around like... Uh, 2010 2011 i think and everybody was just mm. screaming bloody murder about it oh. 
<laughs> You're like, I, I would love 9%. No, um, one in three people don't have a job in South Africa. That's the hard reality. And that's the source of a lot of this political tension and political violence. Right. And with what is also fueling um, these, the politically motivated and racially motivated farm murders are indirectly, well, not indirectly, but like uh, they are also being fueled by the, the economic stagnation that we are in. Because sure. the people are looking for a scapegoat absolutely why are we not growing why are people why is unemployment not decreasing oh it must be it must be this one group that controls controls all the positions of power and all the all the money basically and then and you go back the to CEOs. and then you go back to the historical you know uh, oppression and then focus people on that because that's an easy solution yeah yeah and uh, the government actually eggs these people on they constantly blame apartheid for a lot of our problems now don't get me wrong <laughs> a, a big chunk of our problems are still relics of apartheid and still the we are still recovering from a lot of those problems we had but it was 23 years we ago we have a lot of new problems <laughs> we have a lot of new problems that weren't there that right just that we now need to face that are not the effects of apartheid that are the effects of corruption and mismanagement and cronyism and globalism right right <laughs> i don't think uh globalism is doing the, the developed world any favors at the moment um what's happening is and this is also an important thing i'm going to do a video on this someday um the brain drain that's happening because of globalism the fact that all these all the uh, the best and brightest are leaving the, the developed countries to go to the first world and what happens in the first world oh you get there and now there's a uh, an oversupply uh, 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 not a shortage uh, the opposite of a shortage um, a, glut, um, a glut we would say a surplus surplus a there surplus. we go <laughs> there's a surplus of skilled labor in, in some first world countries now so now you have people with PhDs working at like McDonald's and uh, uh, doing all kinds of jobs that they're horribly overqualified for and then you go to the developed world and you just see like most of the people there, the the people that are left that haven't that haven't uh, gotten degrees and left the country, are unskilled laborers and people who basically don't have degrees. So we're siphoning um, off all of the uh, the smartest, the most adventurous, the most industrious people, and then everybody yeah. left behind are the lower skilled. I'm gonna I'm gonna go out and say probably less intelligent, uh, less motivated, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And you're taking all of the all the best. You're taking all their Teslas, their Nikola Teslas. You're stealing yeah, all of them. But here's the thing: um, this brain drain is in a lot of, in some cases, it is beneficial for your country, but it's for sure. big uh, developed countries. But in other cases, it's not, because like I said, now you have a bunch of overqualified people doing jobs that people, unskilled laborers in your country, would have done. But the because this people because some um, business owners hire based on credentials, they'd rather hire the guy with like a PhD than even though he's horribly overqualified. Oh yeah, well I've uh, I mean I've had my jobs that I had in the tech industry here for uh, certain large online uh, shopping websites that you may have heard of. Uh, had my jobs just sent yeah. overseas or downsized and kind of given to you know, kind of what we call H-1B workers. So I, I'm right there with you. Uh, and so now I have to default back onto a job that I was overqualified for a decade ago because the industry is flooded yeah. with, uh, you know, 
native-born workers and foreign-born workers, and I suppose that's fine. Apparently, they're better at their job than I am, and that's why they get hired. That's that's the best thing I can come up with. Mm-hmm. Uh, it may be because I'm an asshole as well, but not nah, <laughs> it couldn't it couldn't be that. Um, so if before we uh, dive into immigration and building a wall, um, I may want to cut this off so we don't go too long. Do you, do you have any closing thoughts? Um, my only closing thought is that I think people should always try and gain and gather as much information they can about other countries and not just focus on their own. Because if you look at countries that, for example, South Africa, that's a very di- a almost pervertedly di- uh, diverse country that's taken diversity to the ultimate level. I mean, we have 11 official languages. Yeah, um, right. And we have people from across the world uh, living here. Basically, we're a bunch of rejects. Doesn't matter what race. Sure. Um, yeah. So the thing is, um, you need to learn about other countries. You can, if you look at other countries, you can predict what's going to happen in your country in the future, maybe. Um, um, but example, what if? South Africa. Look at the. But what if your country is yeah. the best? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, kidding, you kidding. To, you've got everything figured out, then you can then screw the world. Then you don't have to. Then you don't have to look for for lessons or wisdom anywhere else because you've got sure. everything figured out. Sure. So hopefully, um, hopefully, maybe South African experience. This has been kind of the at least the talking point is that the South African experience and the American experience share something in common, and maybe we can all learn to with from each other and learn together. And uh, move forward until we build the future into Star Trek? Yes, but that's the end goal. Um, We need to become galactic. Right. And leave this shithole behind and start over. And then... I think that's a good good closing thought. (laughs) Absolutely. All right, man. Thanks for the chat. And uh, thanks for your time. And maybe we'll uh, do this again. Mm, No, uh, thanks for having me on. yeah, I enjoyed it. It's it's always nice um, just talking about my own country in in the sense that I don't, a lot of people are very uninformed about what what goes on here, and what I just seek to do is I want to give people peace of mind that yes, we have a lot of problems, but we're not that fucked up yet. Like I think we're, I think we'll recover. I think I'm I'm pretty positive, even though I'm in the vast minority in that sense. So you're a you're a you're a pessimist about the situation, but an optimist about the situation, yeah. Yeah, um, I think that's a, that's a realist. In the, long, <laughs> in the long run, I think we're gonna I think we're gonna make it. I think um, we'll stabilize somewhere. But in the short run, we have some pains we need to work through first. But you as well, um, I think America has a lot of a lot of growing pains that you're gonna have to endure for the next few years before you really are, are gonna get back to being great. Oh yes, well Trump, I think tore the uh, bandage off, and now everyone is just absolutely <laughs> screaming. But I, I think we will recover as we, as we move forward. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. So conscious Caracal on Twitter, um, I'll have the links and everything on my post, and uh, you were trying to cross post this video to your channel as well. Mm, yeah, um, you can just send me the the audio, and I'll I'll turn it into a into a video. Okay, um, sure thing. But yeah. Um, you can you can link my channel and you can link my Twitter. Um, I'm also on Minds, but you don't have to. That's not that important. 
<laughs> I wanna I wanna believe in minds. I wanna believe in minds, but I I don't really get the engagement that I get on other platforms. You know. No. It. Uh, I think it's. I've. I'm really disappointed that platforms like YouTube and Twitter and Facebook don't have good competitors in terms of um, people that that actually t take the initiative to create something that's a genuine competitive force. Absolutely. It's become but definitely think, become a problem. That's a, that's a topic. That's a topic for another day. All right. Yeah. So uh, we'll let you go. Thanks for hanging out. Bye. No problem, man. Cheers.